Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Mike and I are here in the studio and uh, we're just leading off each of these sessions we've recorded yesterday and today with a bit of a, a of background information. <clears throat> because of the coronavirus uh, outbreak and the restrictions that have been put on various uh, gathering places uh, by the government, the college has gone online with instruction. And so Mike and I are using a variety of ways to approach this. I have a YouTube channel. I have started a number of YouTube videos up already. But we're also going to be recording audio files. And our thought with doing this is that by both of us being there, uh, helping each other out, we can get maybe at least a little bit more of a discussion feel like we would have in class. So, for instance, this one is for one of my classes. I'll be taking the lead, but I'll be asking Mike for input. Mike may have questions for me and, and things of that sort. Um, we just did one for his class, and, and it was flipped. Um, but uh, the the hope is that this will give students something a little bit easier to listen to, more convenient to listen to, uh, and they won't just be staring at our faces on a, a video screen for longer than they, they need to. That being said, my students do know they need to subscribe to that YouTube channel, and there are playlists for each class they should be looking at, too. But um, this uh, audio file will be regarding Philosophy 201 Ethics. Uh, I teach two sections of that, 01 and 02, so my students from Ethics should be listening to this. And we're going to be looking at um, one of the assigned readings from that, we're in Paul Althaus's uh, book, The Ethics of Martin Luther. And so uh, this is primarily made uh, for my students, but we're going to be putting these out uh, in the regular Let the Bird Fly feed. And the thought is that listeners may get stuff out of it too if they want. If you have not done the reading, there will be the discussions. These are just general discussion, overview discussion, and the students are expected to be doing the, the particular reading as well and taking notes. So it's not just a regurgitating of the of the text. That's the point of the reading. Uh, so when new uh, sessions come out, and I'm not calling them episodes because they're not really, you'll notice they're going to be produced differently. There's going to be no music. Um, I will be doing some production stuff to even out sound and um, make it listenable. Um, but when they come out too, they'll come out in the normal feed, but they will have course numbers in them. So episodes will still say episode. Um, winging it will still say winging it. If you see something with a course number, so this will be, for instance, philosophy, PHI, 201-audio-002, because it's the second recording we're doing for that class. And then it will have the topic. So if the topic interests you and you're just a general listener, click on and listen. Um, the topic for this will be two kingdoms. And then for each course, it will have an image that will appear with each uh, audio file in that series. So this one, uh, I believe I'm going to be using an image of Plato and Aristotle from the School of Athens painting. Students, if you see that, that means you need to, to listen to that um, and then take notes in addition to taking notes on the reading. Uh, so we apologize for kind of blasting your, your iTunes feed or whatever you're using, Spotify, who knows. Um, but we're hoping that the general listeners, too, will get something out of the content. Please don't unsubscribe because of this. You can go in your settings in your podcatcher and change it to where it only downloads the most recent or doesn't download any or only downloads two 
uh, but only keeps the most recent two. So we don't want to lose subscribers over this, um, but we are hoping it will be helpful on a number of levels. So with all that being said, Mike is here with me in the studio, and uh, we just recorded for Mike's class, Philosophy 202, Apologetics. And what did we record on, Mike? We did the moral argument existence of, uh, for the existence of God, but got into law above the law, uh, some of those kind of uh, social questions about racism and that kind of stuff. How do you deal with somebody who says, I can't believe in God because, and fill in the blank, and then uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So it's a philosophy kind of morning. So we're going from philosophy 202 to philosophy 201, and we're going to be talking about the two kingdoms or two realms or two spheres. Our launching point is Paul Althaus's book, but this is not, um, like I said, this is an overview um, the students will be doing individual reading. If any of these things interest you and you want to get the books as listeners and look at them, um, we're happy to help point you to those. Uh, this is simply The Ethics of Martin Luther by Paul Althaus. It is available on Amazon. If you go to YouTube, um, oh, what's my channel? Then Now I Shall Take My Lunch, I think. I've shared some videos on the, the podcast Facebook page. I do have kind of background information on Althaus in the book in one of the the videos that I did on this. So that brings us to the uh, the two kingdoms or the two realms or the two spheres. And there's different ways of talking about these, and no term is perfect. Um, in German, zwei Reich or zwei Reich, however you choose to say it. Uh, Reich or Reich uh, kind of has a bad ring to it after a certain Austrian um, came to power in Germany and uh, established the Third Reich. and uh, But Reich or Reich just meaning uh, political realm, right? Uh, or kingdom, as, as we might say in English too. So the two kingdoms or the two realms we're going to be talking about are church and state, um, or the temporal in time and the spiritual, or the secular and the ecclesiastical. There's different ways that we can talk about this. The temporal government and the spiritual government. And maybe the, the first thing to address is that when we hear church and state in America, um, maybe, Mike, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear church and state? What maybe gets appended to it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is uh, this wall of separation, mm -hmm. right, that they, that... Uh, you, you knew you, what I wanted? Yeah. We didn't practice this. That no, was good. I mean, that, uh, you know, this Jefferson, Jeffersonian wall of separation, <laughs> that the church, the spiritual never kind of uh, goes into into the uh, the secular. Now, that that's kind of problematic, uh, and the reason for that is you can't really, you can't really divide it. You can't have kind of this idea where you say... Um, well, I'm just, I'm over here and I'm not going to be who I am, which is a Christian or Muslim or whatever. And I think actually, ironically, Barack Obama, um, said something very profound about this when the whole Jeremiah Wright scandal came out. And I know our kids are too young for that, but he, he was, uh, attending a church where there's a preacher who said some things that, um, were not kind about, uh, the white power structure. And it came out and uh, it was going to sink Barack Obama's first uh, presidential campaign. And the the playbook, the political playbook would have said Barack Obama should have 
uh, threw thrown this guy under the bus. I don't go to the church anymore. Separation of all that, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't. He said, I, and I remember him saying, he said, I can't take him and that church and my experience out of me. It's a part of me. It's a part of me. Um, but he said, I still don't think that way and I don't condone that necessarily. And I thought that was very profound. Um, so this, this separation, it's just not so clean, is it? Because if you have a bunch of, if you have, uh, you know, 30 Christian, uh, uh, congressmen, 30 atheists, 30 Buddhists, 30 Jewish, 30 Islamic, whatever, they are going to come with their faith, obviously. And you, and, and, and as much as we try to say, and I think we, if you, you or and I became president of the United States, we would say, uh, we, would, much baggage, we, have, we would be able to divide ourselves up to say, I'm making a decision for the government rather than what I think would be good for the church. I think we'd be able to do that, but it's not a clean cut. And so Luther's two kingdoms, they overlap, <coughs> right? I think yep. it's a better way to think about it. You know, it's a Venn diagram. They overlap in certain things. But for Luther, it was you don't mix them. And I think you remember their roles. Yeah. So, and I think that's the, the those words, you don't mix them rather than there's a clean separation. Uh, you know, I think it's helpful, yeah. even though I think we can, we can write for like you and I can say the separation between church and state. We understand the nuances. Yeah. Um, and we probably both think it's good. In oh, absolutely. Instances. Absolutely. Um, I don't, and, and both ways, I don't want the government telling me, to do the business in the church. And I really don't want the church telling the government their business either. And there's theological reasons for that, which I'm sure we'll get to. It's, it's finally a mixture of law and gospel. Yeah. And so when we're talking about these two kingdoms, realms, or spheres, then what we're talking about are two realms in which the Christian lives and operates. Uh, as Mike got at, there's no absolute separation between church and state, even in America. Um, if, God forbid, you get ill, you may go to a hospital that has a Christian name. Uh, St. Luke's, Ascension, Franciscan, Sinai. Sinai. Um, you're, you may have children who go to a private school that is run by the church. If, God forbid, you become homeless, you may go to a shelter or food um or not food, what do you Food pantry, that? maybe, or a <coughs> soup kitchen. Soup kitchen yeah. um, that is run by the church. In those realms, there's cooperation with the state. For instance, uh, St. Luke's takes Medicare or Medicaid. Um, St. Luke's may get government money for programs that are beneficial for the community. Uh, the private school that my kids go to, they go in Wisconsin uh, through school choice. Now, there's people in the church who don't like school choice and people in the state who don't like school choice. So don't latch on to that. <coughs> but, um, but they go, um, and certain kids um, whose parents don't make a certain amount of money, those kids may even get free lunch through the state. The state says um, you have to have certain things you teach in the school. We want children to be proficient in math and in reading. And so the, the school has to be accredited uh, through the state. Um, when, when we performed marriages, we did not have necessarily authority from the church, but from the county where <coughs> our credentials were, were located. And we had to sign a marriage license. Um, the soup kitchen may be run by a church, but also receive federal funds because the government wants the homeless fed or the shelter. Um, they want the homeless housed. 
adoption agencies. This can also lead to messiness, for instance, um, with uh, the same-sex marriage debate and then with the same-sex marriage becoming legal. There's been questions about, well, should church adoption agencies um, receive federal support if they won't place children with same-sex couples? Now, we won't get into that right now, but that is a attention point. Should a student who is on school choice be able to opt out of taking religion courses at a parochial school? Um, should a Christian hospital perform abortions? Right. So that's not to say there's not tension points, but it is just to point out that um, in the American setting, there's still not as clean a separation as we might think there is. What there isn't um, is an established religion, mm-hmm. right? So the government can't say, although both hospitals are doing the same thing, absolutely the same, we're going to give money to this Episcopalian hospital but not to the Lutheran, mm-hmm. right? Um, although these schools both are meeting the proper curriculum, they're doing the same thing. We can't give money to the Lutheran school but not the Catholic school. So they can't favor a religion. Now, they could defund the Lutheran or Catholic school if they're not meeting the requirements of the, of the, of the state. So um, we also have this free exercise of religion in America. So the state might say the choice student can opt out of religion classes, but the state um, hasn't at least tried to say you can't teach Lutheran doctrine mm-hmm. in your Lutheran, your Lutheran school. <clears throat> so these are all touch points that we see in public discourse and public debate. If we get to the foundations of both, um, the foundations of the church rest in the very first preaching of the gospel. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 are gospel. This is God good, God's good gift. Um, but so long as there's been a gospel to proclaim, in Genesis 3 we think of that the Savior will be sent, that promise is given, there's been a church. What is the church? The church is the mouth house of God. It's where the gospel is preached, and then after the New Testament, or with the New Testament, the institution of the sacraments, where the sacraments are administered. And this is divinely ordained by God. Well, what does church look like? Um, in Lutheranism, we tend to say a church doesn't have to look one set way. You could have bishops, not have bishops. You could have congregational polity. You could have um, a presbyteri. Uh, early on, it looked like Adam and Eve, um, with Adam being the, the spiritual head of his house. Uh, with time and with Christ's institution, he institutes the ministry, and so we tend to think of pastors um, being identified with churches today. But the church's institution comes from God. Um, and the New Testament church's institution comes from, from Christ. The government's institution is there in creation. Uh, Adam and Eve are given dominion over the earth, and they are to steward it and care for it. Uh, Adam is uh, given um, headship. Now, this does not mean Adam is the boss or Eve is less, and that will be for another podcast, too. We can get to roles of men and women. Uh, but Adam and Eve together are sort of the government of the world. Um, and with time, as the population grows, we see people who become leaders, uh, the state then is grounded in natural law. It's grounded in our creation. And how it operates is essentially grounded in, in reason. The state makes the best laws it can according to natural law then and reason. The governance of the church then is, worded in the, is rooted in the word of God. 
Um, now, natural law might also apply, and reason applies. When the church decides what color carpet to put in the sanctuary, or if they should put carpet at all, they're using reason. There's no Bible verse, although people might come up with like funny mm-hmm. Bible quotes to try the to. The answer is no carpet, but yeah. Whatever. I mean, ideally, yeah. I don't think any church should be carpeted, <laughs> but um, maybe we'll do a worship one on that for there your you classmate, <laughs> just acoustically. Yeah. Um, and remember that styles change. If you carpet your church I in know. the '60s, it's... and you're not going to carpet it for 40 years, everyone's got to yeah. live with the blaze orange. <laughs> Um, but the, the was there ever a church with shag carpet? There probably was. I've been in one. Have you? I can't remember where it was, but yeah, oh. it was orange too. Oh, it was shag. Yeah, <laughs> can you imagine how dirty that was? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was in the Midwest. I remember too. Was it? Oh, brutal. Um, you couldn't pay me enough to take my socks and shoes off and <laughs> rub them in that. But um. So the state is going to be, uh, the church is going to operate on the basis of the word of God. And the particular, the special message of the church is the gospel, right? The state has law too. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes the state has the same laws as the church. Uh, if you murder, you're going to be disciplined in the church. Mm-hmm. Right? Pastor's going to say, stop murdering. Mm-hmm. Um, might even be excommunicated if you're not repentant. And the state is going to want to... Uh, punish you according to whatever it's usually prison or, you know, whatever the state is devised. Um, so gospel is what is the particular message that the, the church has that the state doesn't. As far as the, um, what the realms, what claim they have on you, uh, the state has a claim on your body. It can tell your body not to jaywalk. It can tell your body not to be in gatherings of more than 10 people. It can tell your body not to take things from Meyer without paying for them. It does not have a claim on your, your soul or on your conscience. When it tries to do that, we call that a totalitarian state, mm-hmm. and that's usually not a compliment. That's the stuff of dystopian fiction. So 1984 um, by Orwell, Big Brother's not happy to have Winston obey him. Big Brother wants Winston to love him, mm-hmm. right? And this... uh can become problematic, and the 20th century gave us plenty of examples um, for that, from which it seems we haven't learned with the current trajectory of things um, throughout the world. The state, or the the church, has a claim on your soul. Now, it also has a claim on your your body in a sense. Um, Your body will be raised with Christ. Um, Your your body um, does the things, Mm -hmm. right, that your new man wants it to do. So we're not being Gnostic here, but we're we're trying to say the the government doesn't get to say what I believe. Right. But the church, absolutely, that's what it's all about. What right. Do you believe? And what I mean by the body here, though, is that the church does not have coercive power. Yeah. yeah. So the church can't put you in jail or ought not. When the church does that, church has ceased to be church. And this is the stuff of dystopia, too. So if if you don't believe what the church believes and you don't want to be subject to church discipline, you just leave that church. Mm-hmm. You, you can go find another church mm-hmm. even if you want. Um, so the church does not have <clears throat> coercive power in the same way that the state does. Um, the church can't say, you know what? You now have to close your restaurant or bar because of a coronavirus outbreak. Mm-hmm. Now, the pastor might say to the um, – if, uh, if the um, – the, uh, the person who owns that bar as a member of the church might say, and, the, and he comes to me as pastor and says, what should I do? I'm concerned about 
Um, I want to be able to serve people. It's my business, but I also don't want other people getting sick. And that person in their conscience is wrestling with this. The pastor might have input, but he's not going to pass a law on that. So there, sometimes th- people want the pastors to do that. Yeah. I mean, more often than you yeah. actually think, because it's the law seems easy. But yeah. Um, and then as far as their boundaries, uh, the state's claims on you end with death. Doesn't end. Taxes don't end with death. They're going to tax your estate still. But the state cla- the state's claim on you ends with death. The church's claim on you is eternal in the sense that we can speak of the church being, right, our mother. It gives birth to faith, and faith gives eternal life, right? The Those believers who are part of the hidden church will be in heaven for all eternity. So the horizons or temporal boundaries of the two are going to be different as well. What does it mean to be a citizen in both? Well, it means I I try to act in both spheres as best I can. And the example I like to use, I'll use now, and then I'm going to throw it to Mike for any thoughts you have, uh, would be imagine you have a, a Christian who is also a judge. And he's a judge who sometimes he has to hear divorce cases. That judge has a two members of his congregation come before him in court for a legal divorce. According to the law, that divorce should be granted. That judge is also on the board of elders at his church. This is an unbiblical divorce. It's a clearly unbiblical divorce. Um, they disagree on what kind of ice cream they should have. And on those reasons alone, they've decided to get divorced. That couple comes before the judge for a legal divorce. What does he need to do, Mike, in court? He needs to <clears throat> obey the law of the land. He, he grants the divorce. He grants the divorce. As a board of elders, though, he might be a part of doing what with, in regard to that couple? Uh, uh, counseling them, and if they are going to get the divorce, uh, may have to uh, proceed with excommunicate some church discipline. Yeah, and so that couple could say, you granted the divorce. <clears throat> How can you say... There should be church discipline here, and the judge's answer would have to be something according um, to the the two realms. Mm -hmm. Your divorce is legal. Mm -hmm. The state says it must be granted, but you are sinning before God in what you're doing. That is how the two realms sometimes (coughs) um, butt up against each other. The Christian ideally is going to be inclined towards pacifism. Notice I didn't say a pacifist. Mm -hmm. But the Christian is going to be inclined against killing. Mike, we were recording, I think, for your class the other day. And you mentioned, Luther says, right, yeah, killing is always wrong. Right. But sometimes it's justified. So in invocation as soldier in a just war, killing isn't, in that sense, murder. Um, although it's not as if God has ever, God didn't create the world for people to be killed. Mm-hmm. That comes after the fall into sin. Um so there may be the time when the, the Christian soldier who would who longs for peace and would and never sees life being taken as a, a positive thing uh, needs to take a life vocationally, right, within the two realms. So these things can uh, butt up against each other, uh, and the Christian will try to operate in, in, in both as best they can. Yeah, like, think, I'll throw it to you for anything that's yeah, going to Yeah, I think it was actually uh, your our last episode on this in ethics class where we mentioned that the ethical... the Vocation oh, you're right. Was, so if you listen to yeah, the vocation episode, you're this. The vocation is the ethical agent here where that in your situation, the judge says, um, you know, as a board of elders, I, I want this what is best for you um, spiritually. 
but he is bound. He is the eth- It's not him, but it's the ethical agent of the judge where he has to allow that. And, the, the, you know, that seems like an odd thing that would happen. But I think, you know, being a pastor in a small town, this actually played out a lot where people are doing business together, you yeah. know, where I have to, as the bank loan officer as the bank foreclose your foreclose your business but as a member of the the church i'm going to give you money so that you know what i mean, yeah, I mean it yeah. could be played on a couple of different ways um and and along those lines this stuff has happened in the history of the church and could happen here back to the small town thing like you know in a small town you got to have a mayor and you got to have council and that kind of stuff and you know it's like nobody wants to do it and it's every able body is uh. takes their turn i resisted being on the town council um and the reason for that was you're, there was there <laughs> there was going to be conflicts of interest that i didn't want to get into right i didn't want to be seen as the the town council's favoring the church or whatever i just didn't want to get into that um you know, you may think, well, when has the church ever, you know, played uh, played uh, the role of the state uh, throughout much of its history? Yeah. And, and often because it had to. And think of the Middle Ages. We talk about the medieval synthesis. Well, what was the medieval synthesis? Christendom was seen as kind of one thing that encompassed mm-hmm. both church and state. And the Pope's claim was to stand above emperor, mm-hmm. which is why he crowns Constantine mm-hmm. or it crowns Charlemagne. Yeah. And uh, there were some cases, I mentioned that they had to, I shouldn't say that that's too strong, but there were times in Rome, uh, you know, the end of the Roman Empire. To the east, yep. Like, there is no authority. (coughs) Complete vacuum. And so... There's barbarians coming down. The church reluctantly took that leadership role, and unfortunately, once you give any institution power, it's very hard to give it, to get it back. So there are, there are times, I mean, I don't know if we really realize it. There's times when the Pope has an army, when the Pope owns very large swaths of land in the Italian peninsula. Even today, the Pope has a seat a city. in the UN. Yeah, yeah, as a city and an amb- ambassadors and its own mail service and all this kind of stuff. I mean, if you ever see pictures of the Vatican or someday, hopefully, uh, you, you know, students that you'll be able to go there, you're going to see the Swiss Guard and these funny little uh, bloomers that look yeah. not scary at all. But this was, this is the, the, the leftovers of when the Pope literally had a guard, an army yeah. and stuff like that. There is a secret service, all that kind of stuff. So it does happen. And the main point, I think, for Luther is that this is a mixing of law and gospel. When the church starts to do state stuff, it's in the realm of the law and forgiveness gets lost. Or... And conscience gets coarse. Yeah. Or the church, and this would probably never happen, the church just decides to send everybody home, you're forgiven. <laughs> you know? Right. And then the murderer's running around, you know? So it's not the job. And when you do that, law and gospel get mixed and, and forgiveness is always going to lose out when they get mixed. So when we talk about the mixture of the two kingdoms, we're talking about the mixture of the law and gospel. And maybe one more note before you, before you jump in. Yep. Um, um, I've heard uh, some non-Lutheran uh, evangelical writers or people just in conversation be fairly uncomfortable with the two kingdoms because they very much like the idea there's one God, one king, so there's only one kingdom. God rules all. And they're very comfortable with the the two kind of kingdom theology. 
we're not saying that there's two gods. <laughs> we're not saying that God is not a part of this other realm. He's only in the church realm and not into the, the, the secular realm, not at all. We're saying this is how this is helpful for us to understand. Right. God governs through both. Right. God governs through both. So if God is going to... He governs in Christ through the church. And then he's going to use governments, lawyers, laws, everything else in the secular world. Right. And uh, it's just a more nuanced approach. And generally speaking, when you talk to somebody who maybe is rubbed the wrong way by that, I think they eventually get it, even if they wouldn't totally understand. Maybe they would lean towards the sovereignty of God and the idea that maybe even America should be this Christian nation and a shining well, hill. Just briefly. With this, They'll understand Luther's point. And I keep talking after this, but that brings a good point to my mind. Lutheranism's emphasis on a gracious God and the church's primary role as deliverer of grace and mercy through the means of grace sets it up in a way to appreciate the two kingdoms in a different way than Christian denominations that emphasize mm-hmm. the sovereignty of yep. God yep. and largely a vertical relationship with God that's us to him is not equipped to do. So I think that's a very interesting thing you bring out if you want to unpack maybe a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. I mean, I think it gets played out in every all, all the time. Like, our nation didn't do this, therefore there became this, um, there came this natural disaster. Um, the idea that our government needs to obey these certain rules and this is this is how god's kingdom grows statues of ten commandments on the courthouse um you know uh, the divine right of kings back in the day where kings as the ruling law sovereign mirror god is the ruling law sovereign which is not necessarily always bad i mean i think a lot of kings monarchy could be said that i you know i am in the representative of god in the whether they they didn't use those two kingdoms uh uh, vocabulary but a king though you like are you a monarchist i am like in the way our libertarian friends are like or i'm my own king of my people or that we have like a monarchy there's like some christians who are pro-monarchy like the that they want to go back to that you know you know i i think that um there probably would be just as much corruption and trouble and just as much good as there is right yeah. now. Yeah, I don't like Mark um, either. I, I find it absolutely mind-boggling, ridiculously, and stupid that there are still European kings that just get a huge salary for... But have no say, yeah. ...going through, walking down parades, but that's a different story. Um, and, and by the way, this is a good point that Lutherans have and have been specific about we don't choose the government. That's not that's not the the job here. As your vocation as a citizen, you do that. But there in is a democracy. Yeah, but there is no um, there is no uh, there's no governmental structure that God has laid out, and so it becomes very problematic when we talk about uh, a new Zion on the hill. That America is uh, you know God's favored country. That this should be. Uh, a pseudo theocracy. I don't mean theocracy that it's ruled by by uh, the clergy, but that the um, that the the governing officials are going to look to the Bible before they look to the Constitution for uh, for guidance. Not that an individual person would not do that, but you get what I'm saying here. Yeah. That we don't we don't have. We don't have laws because it eventually is coercive, and that's the law, and the gospel always loses in that situation. And, and that maybe gets at uh, one last thing I'll, I'll bring out. Mike mentioned, and it's very important that we drive home, God is in control, and God works through both governments. 
God works through the secular government for the preservation of peace, um, for uh, defense, um, for the rewarding of good and the punishing of evil. But that's not a gospel working that God is doing in that, in the sense of the forgiveness of sins. That takes place in the church in Christ. And so a Christian um, can be, and I would say um, ought to be, an active citizen um, for good of neighbor, right? We are called to, to work for the good of our neighbor. But when the Christian is in a political position or when the Christian is making arguments of a political nature, he or she will hopefully recognize that those arguments informed by faith and our positions ought to be informed by faith. How could they not be? Right. In the temporal realm um, are made based upon natural law and reason. Uh, so, for instance, um, when it comes to an issue like abortion, and we're not going to go completely down that rabbit hole, but there are very sound natural law or reason arguments that could be made by a Christian um, whose faith informs her or him to be pro-life. And so on the Senate floor, a senator who is pro-life probably isn't going to best serve the republic by quoting a bunch of Bible passages. Uh, she or he will better serve by making arguments from natural law or based on reason. Um, this also means that there will be areas on which Christians might disagree. For instance, um, our faith informs us, of course, to be concerned for the poor. I don't think you can read the Old or New Testament. Okay. You certainly can't read the Minor Prophets without being concerned for the poor. But Mike and I, let's say, might disagree on what is the best way to express that concern for the poor. Mike, Mike might think government is terribly inefficient, um, and the best way to care for the poor is to empower nonprofits and charities and churches to do so. Um, the I, I might think um, that the concern for the poor, uh, charities and all that is great, but there should be... Um, the best way to help them is to have government programs in place to do so. In that situation, Mike would have no grounds for questioning my Christianity. I would have no grounds for questioning his Christianity. There are no Bible verses that, that deal with how we should do this in the 21st century. Um, but our faith is informed with the general principle of concern for the poor. And so when Mike and I are discussing this, or even in a friendly way debating it, we're going to do so using natural law and reason, right? Um <clears throat> When we get into the church, uh, if we have different opinions on something the scriptures say, there's just not that room for discussion and debate in the same way. If I say, you know, Mike, I don't know that I believe in the Trinity, Mike is not being a good brother to me if he does not question my Christianity <laughs> because I am rejecting a foundational doctrine of Christianity. I might even be able to make reasonable arguments against the Trinity, but reason ends where the word of God has spoken. And there is a brother in Christ, Mike Wood. Or if Mike says, you know, I believe Jesus was man but not God. As a brother, I need to have him question his Christianity. He might be able to make reasonable arguments. But the word of God has spoken. Um, and there it is my duty to, to act in accord with the, with the word of God. And so there's a lot of leeway for where people might fall politically, um, even though they are, they are Christians. A Christ, Christians might belong to a variety of political parties. Unfortunately, in America, <coughs> well, unfortunately, in my view, we only have two. I don't think that's ideal. Um, but there might be parts of different party platforms that uh, Christians are drawn to without 
having any grounds to question their their Christianity. Um, maybe one last thing, Mike, that I'll I'll throw to you that you can speak to. What about pastors and politics? Any anything that comes to mind for you? Um, and and maybe here we there's no absolute injunctions to be given, but any any thoughts that come to mind? Well, I, it's the same way. You know, the problem of preaching for a Lutheran is um, how do I let the gospel predominate? but not ignore the law, right? I, I want to be able to give advice to people. I want to be able, I have to be able to say abortion's wrong. I have to be able to say uh, the manipulation of whatever or the, uh, you know, the abuse of, of, of the poor is wrong without being political and without, it's the same thing with I don't want. If Hitler was your church member, you would want to tell Hitler what yeah. he was doing was wrong without making it apolitical or more importantly for the for the Lutheran pastor is somehow giving the impression that you have to do this in order to be loved by God. Yeah. So I really do believe, not to harp on this, but I really do believe the doctrinal vacation takes the edge off of that and because you are able to talk in generalities. This is what a neighbor looks to somebody in a government position. This is what a neighbor looks into a businessman in a capitalist situation. And this is how a Christian is going to carry out his vacation vocation as a capitalist business person. And it may be different than uh, the, the, the uh, businessman in the cubicle next to him, right? And so you can talk in these somewhat generalities without saying, this is how you vote. You're wrong for voting this way. And that's way. where the impression becomes dangerous. Yeah. Because when in an area in which there is freedom, one gives an impression that as a pastor or theologian, you have to support this candidate to be a Christian, or this is the church's candidate. Well, there the church has passed into the area of coercion, which is not its role. Um, and there also, um, we can alienate people from hearing the gospel yeah. who otherwise might, um, and we can bind conscience in a way that we shouldn't. Now, that is not to say, um, if, if, an, if the Nazi party were established in America, as a pastor, I would probably have, I would conscious, in my conscience, feel an obligation to say, here are the parts of the Nazis' uh, platform which, which are clearly anti-Christian, mm -hmm. right? Um, this ought to be a concern for a Christian. We should not be pro-genocide. I'm, <laughs> I'm very anti-genocide. Um, you know, we should not be pro-racism, uh, pro uh empire building stuff like this there's a and there's a lot of pressure from both the left and the right on preachers to say you got to get your people to think this way and like yeah. hold on now this is very careful but i understand you have to call out call people out on the carpet when need be but even when i'm doing that there's a difference between that and the gospel being lost in the process mm -hmm. as well and so it's always a fine line to walk when i was in the parish and i had a parsonage next to the church i never put a political sign in my yard. Now that um, I am at the college and I operate largely as a theologian and historian um, and no one knows where I live, I have a political sign in my yard for a candidate who's not even in the race anymore. <laughs> um, and in the past, I've told the kids, hey, you guys pick a, a, a candidate you want to pick. And I've driven them around to get signs and they can put them out there. And so sometimes we've had conflicting sides um, <laughs> in the yard. Uh, on the podcast, we'll sometimes talk about political things and give political opinions. But one thing you'll never hear from us is for us to say, to be a Christian, this is who you have to support. 
or this is what party you have to belong to, or this is what platform you need to uphold. So I feel a little more freedom and leeway at the college than I did in the parish as far as in my personal interact. A lot of people I interact with, I'm not interacting with as pastor now or as the guy who runs the church down the street. But even then, I try to be very cautious about giving an impression that a Christian will fall in line with this candidate. Um, And this is something that's a very real challenge in our day because there are churches and church bodies where the expectation is, yeah, pretty much everyone here must support this or that candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that alienates people. Absolutely. Um, if we're viewed as the Democrat church or the Republican church, we're doing harm to the kingdom in the sense that there's going to be people who are going to be not feel that they're welcome there and are not going to come and hear the gospel. And when the church says support this uh, candidate, uh, you've by the numbers, you've alienated 50% of your, right, and that you go, this is not, this is just not very helpful. I, when I was in, in the parish, clearly I was, you know, very careful not to be political. Um, and uh, there was, I went to church very early in the morning on a Sunday, and someone had put a very big sign of uh, a Democratic uh, candidate in front of our church sign. Hi. And uh, like a member had or someone? No, it was probably someone from the community who just had pegged us as a conservative church. And, uh, you know, I took it down, but it it bothered me a little bit, you know, that not I didn't care about the politics about it. I just cared about. So we must have this. (coughs) There's somebody out there angry at our church (laughs) that they would put that sign up there. And so it, it does. And my concern is not, again, revenge or anything like that concern is that well apparently our church is not known for gospel right it's known for its political leanings and it was probably because of our people generally and that were tended to be republican um so and you know i it bothered me but at the same time it just kind of let it roll off my shoulders too um but that's what we're kind of talking about and and even at the same time where i think the the flashpoint issues that often come up are um abortion and same-sex marriage and Obviously, more con- conservative theologically churches are going to have things to say about abortion and same-sex marriage. But even in that regard, we, there, um, that doesn't mean that um, that one political platform must be completely correct, right? right. Um, someone might be concerned about abortion in the Fifth Commandment, but also be concerned about unjust war and war right. hawks. Right. Someone might be, um, you know, there, so there's... Uh, you know, that danger, too, <coughs> where when churches get too vocal about specific candidates, well, now Christians think not only are we for this candidate because of where they stand on whichever side of abortion and same-sex marriage, liberal churches will have a different mm-hmm. take on that. Well, then we must think this on tax code, too, and right. this on gun control and this right. on patriotism. Um, right. and, and the gospel and the main focus of the church can be lost. I, anything else you have, Mike? Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. No, I think if we don't stop, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Yeah, I think we're on that route. <laughs> um, so, uh, students from Philosophy 201, sections 01 and 02, uh, look for probably a picture of Plato and Aristotle. If that picture changes, I'll let you know. Um, the class uh, course number will be in the title. Uh, non-students who are listeners, we hope if you are listening to these, you get something out of them. We apologize for blowing up your feed. Please don't unsubscribe. Uh, you can just change how much you're downloading. But the good news is there's going to be a lot of content, hopefully, uh, going forward. I am learning how to upload these. Uh, Mike and I don't want Peter and Ben having to do all the work on that side of this for us since this is our 
vocation as professors that we're carrying out. So I'm learning. So if things look a little different or come out incorrectly sometimes, please let us know um, and know that uh, this is like Zoolander, um, the movie where the guy's trying to get in the computer because he thinks there's physical files in there. And so he's like throwing the com- That's That's me learning how to how to do this. In the meanwhile, we hope you're staying healthy. Um, we hope you're being uh, fed by the word in whatever form that's taken for your churches. And we are confident that in Christ you are, uh, you are capable of letting the bird fly.